Hello, and welcome to Detours, a Glory Sports podcast where I, David Stahl, digital editor of Glory Sports, sit down with sports figures who have achieved excellence in their fields through bold, unconventional, strange, and novel practices. From athletes to community leaders, sports psychologists to coaches, media personalities to front office executives, I'll be inviting guests on the program to show listeners how they might learn to explore excellence by paving detours of their own. For our first episode, I sat down with professional runner and Canadian 10K record holder Ben Flanagan to learn the secret behind his success as he gears up for the 2024 Olympic trials. As a fan of the sport myself, I've been following Ben's career for some time, but it wasn't until we met in person that I realized that his career was predicated on an unwavering sense of joy. Even his signature celebration as he crosses each finish line following a win reflects the unfettered happiness that defines his relationship with running, jumping high in the air and snatching the ribbon mid-leap. Most runners struggle to maintain such energy through a grueling season. Running is unique to most sports in that runners are almost forced to act simultaneously as both athletes and entrepreneurs. In an individual sport, securing partnerships is necessary to keep the dream alive, and balancing this between grueling training and avoiding injuries is an exercise that leaves most runners depleted, both physically and spiritually. But as you'll learn throughout our interview, Ben isn't most runners, and despite his blistering success, the most exceptional tool at his disposal isn't his legs, isn't his lungs, or isn't his grit. Instead, learn how his joy for running and life in general has been molded by this unshakable sense of optimism through our conversation recorded earlier this year. Enjoy. Today, Glory Sports sits down with Kitchener, Ontario native, Canadian half marathon and 10K record holder and on athlete Ben Flanagan. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I think to tell your story, it makes the most sense to start at the beginning. I know for a lot of people, their first introduction to running and the running world is oftentimes related to another sport, whether it's training for better performance or sort of a punishment for poor performance. I'm wondering if you could tell us your earliest memories of the running world and your relationship, how it's evolved. Yeah, you read my mind, really. That's how I started, too. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Kitchener uh, native, like you said, so I grew up playing playing hockey. I was a Kitchener Junior Ranger. I wanted to be a you know, Kitchener Ranger one day and uh, didn't hit a growth spurt when I was in high school, and that was about the end of my hockey career there. So, you know, honestly, the reason I found running is I've got two older sisters uh, that love the sport. We just lucked out at my high school, St. Mary's in Kitchener. We had a, an amazing coach, an amazing, amazing mentor. And uh, both my sisters just fell in love with the team culture there. And uh, as, a, as a youngest in my family, when I went to high school, they said I had to come out to the cross-country team. And I did. I loved the environment. And it was something that, compared to other sports I played, I, I just naturally found it was a really good fit. And um, that's where I really started a, a passion for it and wanted to see how, how far I could take it. And you mentioned, obviously, your inception, it starts with hockey, like with most kids, and then evolves into, you know, finding your niche in running. But now we're seeing kids, especially in Canada, start finding that love of cross-country track and field earlier and earlier and earlier. How has the Canadian running culture evolved since you were growing up? Yeah, it's becoming uh, incredibly popular, which is awesome, you know, and that's from 
all aspects, right? It's amazing to have the the passion there, but you need people in the communities, you know, providing the the structure for people to have access to races or training and things like that. So, um, you know, you're, you're just seeing everyone come together in extremely impressive ways and creating, you know, great events, great races and opportunities for people to, to really get the most of themselves in the sport. So what's awesome is if you love it, you really have an opportunity to, to, to pursue it. Um, like I said, I, I found myself really fortunate to, in the environment that I was in, just cultivated uh, a passion for it and opportunity to get better. And I feel like you're seeing that everywhere. And um, from my perspective, I, I guess, you know, what resonates with me is that there was just throughout my time as a high schooler and college athlete, there was Canadian athletes just setting boundaries that have never been done before. And for me, it's been really cool to try to chase those boundaries myself. And hopefully that's that's inspiring the next generation of, of runners to you know, feel like they can do things that, that Canadians maybe have never done before. And who were some of those athletes growing up that you would look to and, wow, that's a benchmark that someday I would love to hit? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Kevin Sullivan, he, was, he ended up being my, my college coach at, at Michigan, but, um, you know, Canadian Olympian and 1,500-meter record holder. He was doing some amazing things. Gary Reed as well. And then some guys that are a little bit closer to my age, Mo Ahmed, Cam Levins. Those were guys that when I was in high school were – doing some amazing things in the NCAA, which at the time, you know, it was kind of shocking to see Canadians doing that well in that system. And um, it really, I guess, instilled like belief in me that, hey, maybe one day I can be an NCAA champion. Um, and you're seeing the same thing in youth sports too. Like there's athletes that whether they stay in Canada for school or go to the US, people are making Olympics as college athletes, which is just you know, kind of was unheard of uh, at my time, you know, in high school and college. And now you mentioned a couple of those more contemporary Canadian runners and Cam and Mo. Who are some of the runners, whether it's your on teammates or, or beyond, your favorite runners to to run with in a race setting, race against, et cetera? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool. Like in Canada, it's such a niche culture, right? And especially... Um, you find yourself racing the same guys uh, in high school, people that continue to pursue the sport. You see them in college and then, you know, hopefully make uh, teams with them to represent Canada on the international stage. So you get to know these people and, you know, they start as your competitors and over time become, you know, with, through mutual respect, really good friends. So guys like Rory Linkletter, Justin Knight, you know, and some younger athletes like Kieran Lom, John Gay, uh, Luke Brichet, a lot of guys that, you know, when we're on the track, we want to obviously beat each other and best each other after the races, you know, you just get to talk about how much you have in common, really, because we've been doing this for so long. So there's there's no shortage of phenomenal Canadian distance runners right now. And it's been really cool to get to know all of them a lot better. Now, we mentioned at the top, you currently hold the road record for both 10K and the half marathon, uh, the Canadian record, I should say, as of this year. And you've really, really been putting on the, the momentum, winning the foul mouth for the third time this year as well. Was there a point in your career where it clicked and, wow, like the ceiling is as high as I want it to be? Like, was that your final year of college? Was that a point in high school when things were starting to gear towards Michigan? Where was the point where you looked at like a Rory or looked up to a Cam and thought, wow, I can actually compete with these guys? Yeah. Um, honestly, throughout my career, it's fluttered between, you know, unlimited potential and self-doubt, really. And just depends on the current state you're in, you know, I've had points in my career where I thought I was unstoppable and points that I thought I might not run again, you know, through injuries and setbacks. So there's been so many moments that I've gone between the two. And 
the longer I've been in the sport, what I've learned is the people that, you know, feel like they can come back from, you know, any sort of um, setbacks or showcase any sort of adversity. And, and if you stay committed to it and if that self-belief persists, you know, you can really, I don't know, there's really no boundaries, hopefully, you know, or at least I don't, I don't know where it is yet. So in college, I was probably the hardest transition for me. And, and that's kind of how it goes. You, if you have success in high school, college is a pretty abrupt transition. Graduating from college, going pro is a pretty abrupt transition because you're just among another class of athletes that have done the same as you or, or better. And it's, and it's a shock to compete against them. So yeah, it took me probably about five years in college to feel like myself again. And that was winning NCAAs in the last race of my, my college career. And um, being able to sign a pro contract was always a dream of mine, but for a lot of college, I thought it was out the window. And even my last you know, few years in, in the pro circuit, I didn't know if the Olympics were really on the table. And then in, in 2020 and 2021, I got that close. And although I didn't make it, it was the first time where I felt like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm an athlete that's capable of making Olympic teams. Now we just got to get on the other side of that boundary and actually do it. Well, you mentioned the fluctuations, and that seems to be something semi-unique to running. Of course, it happens in every sport, but the fact that it can be race to race, it is such a, a core component of it. And obviously, you mentioned the Olympics. We're leading towards it, towards Paris, and 2023 is going to be an important year. Where are you now in terms of those fluctuations? You said sometimes you feel like you can't lose a race on top of the world. Other times, obviously, we're not in, in this area, but oh my God, my running days might be over. Where are you on that sort of confidence spectrum right now? A very great and dangerous spot. <laughs> very confident. And, you know, from learning from experiences in the past, very confident is great, overconfidence kills. So at this point, coming off of, you know, what I feel like is one of the best seasons I've ever had, you know, it's just important not to not to fly too close to the sun, you know. We talk about those those fluctuations. Sometimes you're you feel like you're at the top of a cliff and fall right off, right? And sometimes I've gone from the best shape of my life to injured for three months. So at this point I feel like I've learned so much about sustainable training, you know, staying patient and some things that are really valuable to, you know, I guess accomplishing these goals that I still haven't yet done but feel like are possible. And it's just making sure I don't lose sight of them and stay stay on course um, and try not to get too excited because that's when you can run into trouble, really. Now, you're alluding to, you know, you have to get granular with the small details. And, and can you maybe expand on what some of those lessons are specifically that you've learned in terms of doing the little things? What have you changed in your training cycle to uh, avoid injuries or prolong your career, keep yourself healthy for peaking at the right time, et cetera? Yeah, I would say the biggest change is um, when I was in high school, a lot of my success came from, you know, overdoing, you know, being the guy that pushed a little bit more than I was told, right? And in high school, someone tells you to run, you know, whatever, 10K, you run 12. And at that time, it's it's also rewarded as, you know, you're a disciplined athlete, passionate athlete, and typically it makes you a better athlete. Where you run into trouble is when you cross that threshold where, you know, overdoing becomes overtraining. And that's something I've learned the hard way is, you know, you can push, 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 but that improvement trajectory is not linear. At some point when you overtrain, you face major setbacks and those do a lot more damage than good. So what I've learned is really to find that fine line, that trade-off from, okay, how can I get the best out of myself while also respecting, you know, my daily, weekly, monthly limitations so that I can 
keep getting better over a long period of time with while avoiding setbacks. So ultimately by the end of the season, you know, I'm in the best shape I've ever been. So really what that comes down to is just staying disciplined about maximizing my workouts, my high intensity sessions without going too far or getting too excited to the point that I put myself at risk for injury. Sometimes easier said than done and I'm still learning, but I feel like I've gotten a, a pretty good sense of where, where that limitation is. And it's such a delicate balance, I'm sure, between, you know, taking on that, that wide scope and saying, wow, look at how much success I've had this year. You mentioned the sort of pitfall of overconfidence and also getting super granular about every single detail can kind of be a trap in and of itself. Is it difficult throughout a season to just look at a race as a race and not get too focused on tracking points? And I need this in this race in order to get to the next one and the next one and think, too far ahead. How difficult is that? Yeah, it's um, it, it can be really challenging. I mean, running is so quantitative, right? And you know, the personality types that that tend to gravitate to to running are people that that like you know, <laughs> like the data. They like analyzing things. They like the quantitative side of it. So there's really no limit in terms of how deep you can dive. So you kind of have to stop yourself and understand like big picture is this helpful or not, right? And there's a lot of areas. You know, that's. That can go into a lot of different ways. Weekly mileage, nutrition's a, a, a really important one because you know if you start to get too particular about that, you got to make sure you're you're getting fuel right and you don't get too caught up in in getting too particular in what you're eating and things like that as well. So there's so many areas where I think it's it's great to have data available, but for me, I think it's a lot better to take a big picture approach and know like understand. Okay, yeah, I can get super technical here, but that's not always incredibly helpful, or at least there's there's an extent where you're probably doing more damage than good. So um, in terms of how hard that is, I mean, it's not as hard anymore, but that's after, you know, a sacral stress fracture, a femoral stress fracture, you know, a, list of, a laundry list of injuries. So I've learned that the hard way, so it's not so hard anymore. But over the course of my whole career, I would say, it's pretty hard to learn. You, got, you went through, <laughs> I went through a few setbacks in order to learn these things. And there's so much more joy in allowing yourself to have that qualitative experience and thinking, this is a race I just love to do. And one of those that I know is the case for you this year um, and years in the past is the Falmouth Road Race. Can you talk a little bit about your history with that event, how you were able to, to pull that off uh, again this season and, and just sort of your relationship with that race? Yeah, it's... Um it keeps becoming more and more important to me every every year that goes by. But um, yeah, the most important reason that it's so sentimental is the first time I went there back in 2018, it was one of my first pro races. So I didn't really know what to expect and I felt good about where I was at, but basically Falmouth is uh, it's a very tight knit community, really cool race environment. And for the pro athletes, they actually do host families. So instead of staying at a hotel, they have locals host the athletes, which is really cool. Gives you a good sense of you know, where you are and what the culture's like uh, on the Cape as well. So what happened was when I showed up there, my host family never picked me up. They just left me there. <laughs> so I, I apparently had a flat tire, I forget, but I was in all my Michigan gear and the president at the time noticed that I didn't have a place to stay. And his daughter uh, was a golfer at Michigan and offered for me to stay with them. And, you know, fast forward, that's now my fiance now, uh, like uh, three years later. So that's actually how I met uh, my partner Hannah. So it's her hometown. Her dad is now my, you know, future father-in-law. So that's how, um, you know, now the place has become a second home to me. It's where my my in-laws are. And then obviously to to come away winning that year, and then, you know, it was just such a cool experience to win a first pro race of that magnitude. You know, it really 
challenged myself to understand, you know, what I was really capable of. And then every every year I've come back, the stakes have only gotten higher now. So I won the first time, I come back in a year later, now I've got, you know, my girlfriend at the time and her family and her friends all watching. They're like, oh, this guy that won, he's got to win again. And I'm like, oh, it's pretty hard to win the first time. So to win again was was crazy. I could like I couldn't believe I did it the second time. And then this year, again, the stakes are even higher. And um, you know, this is my first time running for on there too, which is really cool. And yeah, it's just it's a race that I've gone into with really no option but to win. And those races are really hard because there's just no safety net, right? It's like you either win or we're probably disappointed. So it really challenged me to like understand like how to approach that mentally to again just try to find that balance of like how do you go in confident and excited, but not go past that point where there's so much pressure that becomes counterproductive, you know? And wow, what an incredible origin story. You owe so much to one flat tire. Yeah, That's exactly. a lot of wow. Right. <laughs> Looking at maybe your most important, what you look back on as your most important, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a race, but most important running moment of this past year, it's tough to rank them in, in a really strong season. Um, but what stands out as maybe something that was the most impactful for your career in 2022? Yeah, I mean, it's gotta be the half marathon, the, how I ended my season. Obviously setting the Canadian record was, was a huge goal of mine, but it was a kind of a, almost a cyclical ending to um, to a lot of things we've discussed, you know, right now. I started this season, excuse me, in, in 2022 with a broken toe back in January. And I just signed a new deal with On. I was really excited to debut the On kit at the Houston Half Marathon, where I was hoping to break the Canadian record. And I broke my toe right before then, um, decided to still run, which I wouldn't advise anyone to do. Um, but I went from, you know, an opportunity to set the Canadian record, to, I, I fell short, and Rory Linkletter actually set the, the record in the same race. So to think, you know, I, I finished that day disappointed. Um, There's still stuff to be excited about, but, you know, disappointed with the day. And, you know, in my head, I was like, I want to, by the end of the year, I want to have this record. And to get another opportunity 10 months later to do it and to actually capitalize and to do it in the way with competing with Cam Levins in the last, you know, few miles to get that record was was pretty amazing. So to walk away, uh, from this season with the goal that I started <laughs> with the season is pretty cool. And you mentioned, you know, the inherent pressure of, wow, I've just been brought on to, to on and, you know, the OAC is this highly touted team. There's a, there's a lot of pressure surrounding having this title attached to you. I'm wondering, because obviously you were signed originally um, with another company, have moved over to on, what, how the brand has differentiated itself to you because the world is becoming so saturated with a million, there's a million super shoes out there, there's a million um, different brands that are signing athletes left and right. What stood out to you about On? Yeah, it's definitely twofold, you know, just from the brand's perspective in the market and to, you know, the running world in general and then my personal relationship with them. And um, to me, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the thing that was really noticeable to me was from my personal relationship, the brand has been a very intimate and very welcoming. Um, they're running specific. So when I came on board, I felt really involved, which was awesome and really supported. And, um, you know, when I talk about being disappointed 
with my result wearing the kit for the first time, you know, that was all my own feeling, you know, on couldn't have been more supportive about how excited they were to just have me on my team. And, you know, I remember the emails I got later from Steve, uh, Steve DeCoker, who is manages uh, OAC about, you know, how excited he was for me to wear their next iteration of the shoes and how I'll set the record, you know, next time. And we end up doing that, which is pretty cool. Um, so the brand itself has been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, I got the privilege of make, working with some amazing um, employees there, the innovation team. My um, point of contact for a while was Andy Weeding, who is like one of my, you know, someone I looked up to when I was in high school as a, as a runner at Oregon. So it's been, it's been really cool to get to know the team and to feel like the team knows me, you know, which I don't think every brand does. And then from the market side, um, just seeing the growth has been phenomenal. You know, when I came on board as a Canadian, they made it clear, you know, that they were hoping to expand on the roads and in Canada. And I was like, what a great fit. You know, that's exactly what I'm trying to do with my career. And to see, you know, how much has expanded in Canada since that time where I signed on board or just how many people ask me about the brand compared to, you know, when I first came on board and maybe they didn't know it as well has been amazing. And uh, in the U.S. in particular, the brand just exploded. So it's been really cool. Um, I think we're kind of just scratching the surface. OAC has done an amazing job, you know, representing the brand on the international stage. And for me as an athlete, you know, I feel like I'm always just trying to hold my own and, you know, represent the brand the best that I can and in, in, I guess, the niche realm that I feel like I specialize in, you know? Mm. And obviously we're seeing the team continue to grow constantly. Uh, we saw a running legend, Helen O'Beary, uh, make her marathon debut for On um, in NYC just a couple of weeks ago. Y you alluded to it a little bit, but how incredible is it to, to look around at the team growing after you've already been on board? These are heroes in the running world. I'm sure people, like you said, you've looked up to who are coming to be a part of what you've helped grow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, um, you know, after NCAAs this year too, you know, to see all the NCAA stars join on. It's so, like, it just feels like On is tapping into every area. They have amazing athletes in Europe, amazing athletes in North America, athletes in Canada. You know, having Helen O'Beary, I think, was such a cool pickup as well because, you know, Kenyan and Ethiopian distance running has been, you know, <laughs> they're absolute legends for so long. And to see an amazing athlete like Helen make such a strong presence in North America is really cool. Like, I think the, we were talking about just the the presence that she had going to New York City Marathon was was amazing. And I think it's really cool to bring that culture mainstream. You know, people that are running New York City Marathon who may not be as, as big of running nerds as, as me or you, to know more about Helen O'Beary is awesome because frankly, for how good she is, everyone should know who she is, right? So um, for on to, to bring her on board and her, um, moved to Boulder and joined Dathan, I think was was really awesome. And then seeing guys like Yared and Mario Garcia Romo and Courtney, it's cool to see that we're signing, you know, these athletes that are incredibly world-class like Helen have been so for a long time, but to also have this next generation of up-and-comers, see what Mario is doing at the international stage already, it's, the brand's gonna be on the world stage for a long time, which is awesome to see. And you mentioned it, what's so neat is you've carved out your own niche identity as, you know, the Canadian on the roads and growing um, that that environment for yourself. You were uh, back in Toronto in the spring for the Cloud Monster activation with Black Toe Running. I'm wondering, how has being a part of ON and, you know, being an athlete, but also inherently an ambassador for the brand, changed your relationship with 
the running community and maybe the Canadian running community specifically? Yeah, um, it's, I think it's helped me realize the importance of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of value I can add by running fast, wearing on, you know, and that's a big part of my job is to showcase, you know, that I'm, I can be a great athlete in, in the equipment that I have with on, which has been a big part of it. But there's also, it's, it's a lot more than that. You know what I mean? I, I think it's, it's taught me that that's not the only way to inspire people, right? Is through strong performances. It's also by getting to know people in the area, being a part of the community, you know, just caring about all runners, anyone that's interested, anybody shows interest in you showing interest back. So um, for on to be able to give me opportunities to do that, like the the monster chase that we had in Toronto, which is something I've never done anything like before, um, was amazing. And it's, and it's given me a lot more exposure to a side of the sport that I feel like I've always wanted to get involved in, but maybe didn't really know how to. And it's something I hope to continue to get more involved in and hopefully inspire people in, in another way outside of just trying to run really, really fast, you know? And you mentioned your positive relationship with the actual, you know, the marketing team, the staff of on the, the lack of pressure you felt through injury as well. What's the relationship like? Because, of course, you're situated in different places. You're taking on different distances, different events, looking at different goals. But what's the relationship like between the on-athletes, um, guys like we mentioned Joe Klecker, Morgan McDonald, and how important is it to have that camaraderie within the brand and what's typically a very individual event? Yeah, I think everyone's very proud to represent the company. And there's just an inherent amount of loyalty and mutual respect for everyone that's that's a part of the extended team. You know, I'm not a member of OAC and those guys treat me like I am when I'm around them, which is really cool because, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, especially with athletes, right? Um, so I've, I've had some opportunities to overlap with those guys and it's been great. I think, you know, it's more about finding common ground and us just getting along as fellow running nerds, really, and distance runners than, than anything else. So, yeah, I think it's a testament to the type of people on brings onto the team that they're so easy to get along with, but also just the type of culture that, you know, it instills in, in us athletes as well. So, yeah, every, those guys are all awesome and, and girls. The, I, I got to, uh, the opportunity to hang out with them in Orlando, and they couldn't have been more fun to be around. And it's it's nice and refreshing to see athletes that, you know, are obviously so competitive and elite, but also just, you know, are just caring and good people as well. Um, again, it's inspiring in multiple ways. So I've had a great relationship with them, and any new person that joins on, you know, I, I make sure to reach out, and they always – you know, we all follow each other on Instagram. And anytime I have a great race, I get people from the internal team at on reaching out to me. So it does really feel like an extended network that, you know, is really supportive across all areas. And it was we inched toward the end of 2022, entering 2023. Obviously, we alluded to it before the Olympics are, are on the horizon as well. What are what's your biggest goal for 2023? And as of right now, what would you say your favorite distances? What are you eyeing down going into the new year? Yeah, the biggest goal for me is really simple. It's to make the world championship in Olympic teams. You know, we've got worlds next year, Olympics, the year after that in Paris, and then another world championship. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of everything that I've accomplished up to this point. But up to this point, I, I still haven't represented Canada on the world stage at the world championships or at the Olympics. And those are two things that are really, really important 
to me and, you know, what I want to add to my, my running resume. And there's some changes that I know I need to make in order to, to prioritize that goal. One of those is being, you know, specializing on, on certain events. And um, I obviously love the roads. Um, I could run the roads all day. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of opportunities to make world inter Olympic teams outside the marathon. Um, so the challenge for me over this year has been to decide, you know, the fork in the road. Am I, am I going to be a better 5K or 10K athlete or a marathoner? Because those are two drastically different events and take drastically different training. And up to this point, I've decided to stay on the track in the 5K and the 10K. Ideally, it'd be great to be able to compete in both of those events at the World Championships and Olympics, but that's going to be my entire season is going to be designed to, to make that team. And if, if it's not there, then I think there's still enough time to make a marathon debut before Paris. Um, but I'm in no rush to make that jump. I, I've got a lot of confidence in my ability at that event at some point. Um, but I do think there's a lot more potential at those lower events that I haven't really showcased. And hopefully I get to in the next 12 months. And at your age, there's still so much time for the marathon. That's obviously a distance that lends itself to older, more experienced athletes to some degree. I'm wondering, as someone who currently holds the half record and the, the 10K record and has obviously put up uh, incredible um efforts in the 5k as well what the difference in mentality is between of course you haven't debuted in the marathon yet but those longer distances and something like the 10k is it a drastically different approach mentally yeah it's um it comes down to the training which ultimately you know impacts the, the mentality as well i got a, a good taste of it training for valencia the half marathon like the canadian half marathon record attempt because that training is so volume-based. You just have to get really, really good at being mildly discomfort for very long periods of time, which is trivial at the end of the day. That's what the half marathon and marathon are. Um, whereas the challenge for me in the 5K and 10K have been you know, getting down to a certain intensity where you make a really, really, really fast pace comfortable enough. You know, So at the end of the day, they're both hard for very different reasons. Um, but I think the, the marathon itself is just such a bigger commitment time-wise. You know, you really need to go all in on one or two events a year, whereas the 5 and 10K, you have more opportunities to, to get the mark that you need, and there's a more, greater margin for error. I, at least my opinion, and athletes are proving wrong in this statement all the time, but I think, you know, you can go all in on the five and 10 and eventually still run the marathon. I think it's hard to go all in on the marathon and then come back to the five and 10. So when I make that transition to the marathon, I want to go all in and I'm just not ready to do it yet. Um, but I, I will be soon enough. <laughs> and now you mentioned how much it would mean to you to be able to represent Canada on the world stage, whether that be worlds, whether that be the Olympics. It's so funny when we talk to athletes about expectation, when we asked Andre de Grasse what it meant to be able to bring home a gold medal for Canada at Worlds. He said it, it was never even on his radar as a kid. He was surprised that he was able to go to a community college and he was surprised he made it into USC and the goals started to slowly build. Has that sort of been your mentality in the sport of, oh wow, I'm at Michigan. Oh wow, I'm signed by Reebok. Now I'm signed by on and slowly moving up the ladder or as a kid, was that something that you were visualizing? Someday I want to be, or through high school, someday I want to be a Canadian Olympian. Yeah, I, it's, it's a mix of both. You know, the dream's always there. The path is very unclear how you're going to get there. 
But I, I think the incremental goals are a huge part of anyone's success, right? And honestly, that's probably when I've been the most successful. The, the times where I've struggled the most is where the current state I was in and the goal that I was try, trying to achieve, that gap was too large. And, you know, it's great to set big goals, but it can be really discouraging when you feel like you're really far away from them. I feel like the I'm the best when I have momentum. And momentum, in my opinion, comes from succeeding at your goals over and over and over again. And if those can be slightly higher over and over and over again, it's all of a sudden you can, you kind of forget how far you've come. You know, all of a sudden you're sitting in a position where you're like, wow, I didn't really think a Canadian record in the half marathon was going to be possible this season. But you're almost distracted by all these things that are bringing you closer without you even realizing it. So I would love to accidentally win a gold medal like Andre de Grasse. That'd be pretty nice. I've got quite a few uh, incremental goals before that. But yeah, that, that resonates with me a lot. I think you really got to stay patient and stay positive about where you're at. If you set goals that are hard to achieve and you feel like you're falling short all the time, that's it, it's hard to stay motivated. And, you know, we talk about the the total mileage i think is looked at a lot for runners the tiny things like dieting doing stretching cool downs all the little things but such a massive impact that's sometimes overlooked like you're talking about is the mental aspect of staying patient or building that mental callus over your mind especially for the, the high intensity of the 5k or the, that constant uncomfortability of the half marathon how has your mentality shifted in race since the end of your Michigan days since becoming a pro and uh, and how much has that impacted your performance do you think yeah um I would say the biggest way to change is just in terms of number one priority is sustainability you know and that's not I would say the biggest change from my Michigan days in college you know you're there to be a student athlete and that's your main purpose and when you graduate as a pro you know your job is to be an elite athlete first and foremost but you also are getting older and have a life <laughs> beyond it as well. And I think the one thing that maybe people, or at least I didn't think about signing a pro contract and going in the real world is, is how is running or how do I want running to fit into my life for the rest of my life? And nowadays, a lot of my decisions about training and, you know, volume or really any aspect of training is, is like, is this something that's going to be sustainable for indefinitely, ideally. And some of that's not even necessarily a training decision. It might just be where I'm living or, you know, my relationship with my family and things like that. And it's become a lot more important for me to find that balance of how do I get the most of myself running wise while still being happy with the way running fits into my life. And ironically, or maybe not so ironically, the more I've done that, I've actually found myself competing at a higher level because you're just not so stressed about sacrificing so much all the time um, for one thing. So yeah, at the end of the day, I it's it's come down to a lot of trust and making decisions that, okay, what, what really matters here, right? Am I doing things just to do them or where is the value? And I guess it's challenged me to be a lot more intentional with my decisions in terms of training, um, competition, and, and just how I live my life in general. And are there ta tangible exercises that you're doing to help uh, sort of let that mentality flourish? Or is there meditation, whether it's pre-race or journaling, coming up with a mantra for a training block? Are there any like 
exercises that you're doing or is it just sort of I'm putting myself in a position in terms of my lifestyle that's making me happy. Yeah, floating through space. No, no, it's not quite like that. Um, yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I think all those are very productive methods. A lot of it's trial and error for me. I would say the biggest thing for me is just the the support network that I have, right? It's, you know, my my family, my friends, my, my partner. Um, and it's basically, you know, when I feel like I'm challenged or in situations that I don't know what to do, I... I rely on them. Um, and they typically remind me, you know, everything that, that I've gone through and what's brought me here to this point and that I've already showcased that I have the ability to, to, to go get through adversity. And it's those reminders that, that really help. In terms of the day-to-days, I, I think I would say if you can set up an, an environment, you feel that level of support, that's great. Obviously, family, partner, all that stuff's only so much in your control all the time, but, um, you know, great trainers, great coaches, great teammates, like putting yourself in position to be surrounded by others that, you know, support you or bring the best out of you, I think is really important. So yeah, I really try to utilize those resources as much as I can. Now to close us out just before our uh, couple of rapid fire segments, we've talked about community. We've talked about impact and, and how, uh, the partnership with On has kind of allowed you to have that a different framework as to how you're impacting the running community, just outside of the people watching you on the track, but the people running alongside you in the streets, the people who are buying the cloud monsters because they had an activation with Ben Flanagan in downtown Toronto. When you're done racing, when you're an Olympian, that's in the rearview mirror, you've debuted in the marathon, what do you want your legacy in the, the running world to be? Yeah. I've been thinking about this more <laughs> because, you know, I've gotten older and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to inspire other people really. And uh, like I said, I, I'm learning there's more ways to do that than by just running fast. And what running fast has done is provided me a platform to try to inspire people in a variety of ways. And I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. But at the end of all of this, if I can find a role in the running world that allows me to do that, I, I would be, I'd be really happy. Um, so to be determined, but um, yeah, I, I'm asking myself that a lot recently. Thank you so much for tuning into our first episode of Detours featuring Ben Flanagan. Be sure to subscribe for more insight from Canada's greatest sports figures. We have some really fascinating episodes coming up so we invite you to stay tuned and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the interview. In the meantime, we also invite you to take any nugget of knowledge that might help you find your own detour. Who knows? You might be our next guest.